Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, just one second. I'm sorry, Liz, I'm going to move this up. <laughs> I'll put it back down afterwards. Don't worry. All right, so we are still in Nehemiah, as you heard, um, as Rachel so thankfully she, uh, that she shared with us that we're in Nehemiah 4, the second half, and we've actually spent the last month in Nehemiah, and um, we are actually going to keep spending some more time in Nehemiah going forward. And there's a lot that goes on in Nehemiah, right? There's a lot that's happening in this book that we've covered so far. Um, we've seen how prayer and action goes hand in hand, that when Nehemiah got the uh, report about Jerusalem state that he prayed first, that when he had an opportunity to present his request before the king, he, he prayed, that even last week, when, uh, with what Joel shared and what Liz reminded us of is that when they had started feeling pressure from the nations around them, they made sure to cry out to God and ask him for help. We talked about calling. We've talked about how Nehemiah, he has a, he has a very specific calling. He is there to build this wall. And that's what he prayed about. That's what he asked the king about. That's what he told the rest of the people they were going to do. And he has this enthusiasm, and if we ever feel like we're being called to do something, we should have that same kind of enthusiasm to do just like Nehemiah did. Because if someone has a clear calling and you can just see the passion flow out of them, it makes it very easy for people just to naturally want to join them in their cause. But we did talk about what can happen sometimes if we elevate our calling too high, that we get so focused on what we think we're supposed to do the thing that was originally intended to help the kingdom ends up being a hindrance. Uh, chapter 3, we, you get this long list that Joel talked about, of lists of names and the different parts of the wall they're working on. But one of the cool things that he pointed out was that you had people from every walks of life working together to rebuild the wall. You had people who had high and important positions, and you had people who were just commoners working side by side. And then last week, Joel started off in Nehemiah 4 talking about how in the midst of battle, we remember the Lord. That it is through prayer that we fight for our families. And this week's passage is just really building off of that. In fact, this second half of Nehemiah 4, you could say, is kind of like the practical steps of everything that was first stated in the first part of Nehemiah 4. So there's this tension right? The, Nehemiah 4 does a really good job of pointing out this tension that we often feel in the Christian life, and that's the tension of when do we just trust God, and when do we act, right? There's that tension, right? When something happens, do we just lean on God and say, well, God's got this, and we're just going to completely trust in him, and what part do we feel like, oh, but we need to be doing something as well? When I was in uh, living in the States, uh, we were able, well, I was able to go through this safety training that my mission agency put on. Um, it was actually a really intense security training. It was intended for people who were going pretty much anywhere in the world, but especially in mind of places that are a little bit dangerous to travel. Uh, so the first few days were just lectures. They sat through and they went through some different things of what to think about, what to look for. But the last set of days was actually practical, like real world experience. And one of those real world experiences was we got to get carjacked, which is, you know, really fun. 
Um, and we broke up into little groups. And my group, I got to be the driver. So we, I drove this vehicle up. And then the instructors come storming the vehicle. And they start yelling at you. And they have guns. They're not loaded. But it's still not something you necessarily want to have around you. And uh, as the driver, here's some quick carjacking tips. First, if somebody's going to carjack you, just let them have the car. Because your life is worth more than the car. Second, if you're the driver like I was, you have to make sure that everybody else gets out of the car before they take the car because the last thing you would want is them to come in and drive off and somebody's still in there. So they teach you how to do things like make sure you turn off the car, pull out the keys, do things that you're going to give them the car, but it delays them a little bit. And while we were going through that training, the thing is, is all of those instructors were Christian. And so one of the things that they had to talk about throughout the whole training was this tension. How do you trust God in these situations versus how do you, you know, do things safely? And so there was this phrase that they used over and over and over again. It was to trust God and act wisely. That's what they said. They said, whenever you're going into a dangerous situation, whenever you're doing anything, really, you trust God and you act wisely. And here in Nehemiah, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see that Nehemiah, the people in Israel there, they're under threat, right? There's a real possibility that there are people that are going to come and commit violence against them to stop them from trying to fulfill what they feel called, what they feel called to do. And Nehemiah, he, he's going to put into place some wise precautions in case that trouble comes. They, he doesn't just say, hey, you know what? God's got us. We're not going to do anything to prepare. Now, I'm not saying that God somehow couldn't just protect them supernaturally, right? God is God. He is over everything. In fact, there's some very famous stories about people who have to do things and totally just depend on God. Uh, Gideon in the book of Judges is famous because his whole thing is that he keeps reducing his army size before going to fight his big battle. Uh, Jericho, right? The people go up and all they do is walk around the city, but something that's unique about those stories versus what we're reading in Nehemiah is that God specifically told the people to do not the wise things, right? In Nehemiah, as far as we can read, he doesn't have that same kind of direct revelation, so he has to use his wisdom, wisdom that God has given him, to figure out what is he going to do moving forward. And I will say, though, sometimes when it comes to this whole idea of trusting God and acting wisely, sometimes we get so caught up with acting wisely that we stop trusting God at all. And oftentimes when that happens, when we're so far on the one side of like, oh, we're just, this is the best way to do things. We're doing things the safest way possible. We end up not doing anything, right? Uh, one of my favorite uh, parables is the parable of talents, um, which you can find in Matthew 25 or Luke 19. And the basic premise of that parable, if you're trying to remember which one that is, is that there's a rich man or a, a ruler, and he's going on on a long journey, and he has three servants, and each servant he gives a different amount of money to. And while he's gone, two of the servants take that money, and they either invest it or they create some kind of business. They do something that doubles the money that was given to them. But the third servant, he takes the money and he just digs a hole and he buries it in the ground because he wants to make sure that there's no possible way that he could lose any of the money that was given to, that was given to him. And when the master, when the ruler comes back, 
he rewards the first two, but the third one he rebukes and he exiles because he didn't do anything with the money. Now, if you take a step back and you look through that story, you could say from kind of a worldly perspective that actually out of the three servants, the third servant was the one that acted wisely, right? That servant made sure that there was no way they could lose any of the money that was entrusted to them. The other two servants had to take risks. They could have lost all the money in whatever they were trying to do. And yet, it's the two servants that took the risks that get the rewards. As we journey on this road together, we're going to find ourselves often trying to navigate this tension uh, between trusting God and acting wisely. And so today, let's look through our passage And let's see what we can learn. What are some things we can pull out of Nehemiah that's going to help us learn how to best live out our lives in light of these two things? So if you still have your Bibles open, uh, we're going to start read Nehemiah 15 through 18. um, Because I am a nerd and I like technology, I'm going to have them up on the screen too as well. Um, So read along with me, Nehemiah 4, 15 through 18. It says this, When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other, and each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So notice first that Nehemiah says that the plans have been frustrated, but notice he says that it's God, right? The first thing he does is he gives credit to God for frustrating the plans of his enemies. He, he, he's, he recognizes who is really at work behind the scenes, right? Now, Nehemiah might have been getting information, you know, maybe he had a secret spy. It doesn't tell us any of that. But he, even if that was true, he knows that really, no matter what he did, the real person who's actually doing the work is God. So right off the bat, we see that Nehemiah clearly understands when it comes to this trusting God and acting wisely, he clearly understands the trusting God part. And he starts over there. But he doesn't just stay over at the trusting God part, right? He starts moving over to the acting wisely part. He starts putting practical elements in place. First, it says he organizes his men that's under him uh, have to help build and have to defend. He sets up these officers that are to stand behind the people who are building the wall. And you might think, well, oh, that might have been the best job because you're just standing behind. But really the picture is, is that these officers are like military officers. Basically, Nehemiah is setting up like kind of a military hierarchy so that there's a clear line of communication and coordination between the people. We even see the builders are armed and they're ready to go. And we see that the people that are there to clear out the rubble, they're also set up in such a way that they always have a weapon in hand. We see that Nehemiah first, first, like I said, he starts off on the trusting God side. He starts moving over to the act wisely side. And you might think that actually maybe he's moving too far the other way. Maybe he's putting, it seems like maybe he's really dependent on all these plans that he's putting in place. And before we can even think that he might have fallen into that trap, we read this in verses 19 and 20. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, 
The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us, our God will fight for us. Just notice how Nehemiah ends this whole section about defense, right? He's put people in place who are ready and armed to fight. He's put the officers in place so that there can be communication and coordination. He put made sure everybody has weapons on themselves so they can defend themselves. But he reminds them at the end of all of that that there's actually one being that's actually going to fight for them, and that's God. That the reason that all of these plans are going to work, the reason that they can feel secure is because of their faith in God. He started with trusting in God and he ends with trusting in God. Everything he is planning is built in that framework of the fact that he knows that God is on his side. So let's real quick, let's take a second and see what we can pull out from this section and what can we do to make sure that when we're called, when we're trying to fulfill what we feel like God's put on our hearts, that we're living in light of these two principles even when we know that there's an enemy who stands against us. And like I said, first we got to recognize that God is on our side, right? That's the first place we ought to start whenever we're thinking. No matter how big or small our plans are going to be, we must always start with the fact that the Trinity is for us. The book of Romans is often looked at as like Paul's dissertation on the Christian life. And in the middle of the book of Romans is chapter 8, which is one of, easily one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. And it contains my favorite verse of the Bible. And Romans 8.1, which is my favorite verse, says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that just so simple yet profound, right? There is no condemnation. There's nothing we've done. There's nothing that we're doing. There's nothing that we can do that is going to bring condemnation because of Jesus Christ. And there are days where I wonder, God, why would you use somebody like me? I mean, I'm a man who's prone to laziness, procrastination, pride, lying, a whole, a whole mess of things. And when I'm sitting there and I feel like I just have, I'm just covered in muck from all of my failures, God talks to me and he tells me there is no condemnation. So first, we know we can trust in God because of what Jesus did. But we also can trust in God, not just because of what Jesus did, but because he died, we have the Spirit now in us. Romans 8.2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Christ died, and the Spirit came and set us free. We have no condemnation, not just because of Jesus' sacrifice, but because the Spirit of God has taken us away, taken us out of this cycle of the system of sin and death that still plagues the world today. And the Spirit doesn't just set us free, but the Spirit dwells within us. I mean, Romans 8, uh, 11 says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. There's a worship leader that I really like. His name is Tim Timmons. And he has a song called Christ in Me. And one of the lines of the verses of the song goes like this. It says, The same great power that conquered death, hallelujah, is living in me. And I love singing that line, but what's challenging about the song actually is that 
like the very next line after you sing that is this and what what if i believed in your power and i really lived it because how easy is it i know how i'm thinking about how easy is it for me to stand up in church and sing about the amazing things god has done how easy is it for me to get up here and tell you about how the holy spirit's in us and we have the power of christ in us and then how easy is it for me to then go home and live a life that doesn't reflect any of that we can trust god because jesus came and we can trust god because the holy spirit the same spirit that raised jesus dwells in us and if we really believe that then what should we be afraid of and lastly we know that the that god the father himself is for us romans 8 32 reminds us that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us up gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things every member of the trinity every part of the triune god is working together on our behalf to help us fulfill what god has called us to do so our first step should always be whenever it comes to thinking about any plans anything that we feel like we're being led to do any calling that we feel like on our life our first step should be that we need to trust in god and if we truly believe that the father the son and the spirit are all on our side then that means there's no plan there's no dream there's no nothing that is too big or too risky so that is the trusting in god side of things but what about the act wisely side of things what can we learn from nehemiah about that well if we notice about the different things that nehemiah has put in place there's kind of a theme that runs through it and that is that in every instance nehemiah is setting up systems so that the jews can be ready to serve and ready to defend each other yes he does put in place so that each man has their own weapon and they can defend themselves but it's all in the context of them being ready to help the other person around them whether that be through the trumpet blowing to the officers to even the people who are clearing away the rubble right they have a uh, arm ready with their weapon but they're clearing away the rebel to help protect those who are actually doing the building every part is organized so that they can quickly respond to the needs of the other in other words if you want to act wisely in whatever you're going to do if you want to act wisely in whatever you feel god is calling you you got to make sure you're doing it in a way that you are not alone and that you're all working together ready to serve one another because we do have an enemy that threatens us right uh, sometimes because it's not physical like the jews were facing a very physical presence right a very physical uh, threat was facing them and sometimes we forget that we actually have a threat that's facing us because it's not so physical but paul reminds us in ephesians 6 11 through 12 to put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places and real quick when we talk about the armor of god sometimes we get too caught up in thinking that this is some kind of individual thing we read that you may be able to stand as each of us individually but that's not what paul is saying that you there in in greek is what my birthplace would call a y'all 
Um, in other words, it's not saying that each individual person, you put on the armor of God so you yourself, by yourself, can stand against the schemes of the devil. It's saying that you all, you all together, put on the armor of God. Together as a church, you stand against the schemes of the devil. Because we're not meant to fight the enemy alone. We're not like those uh, action movies where you have the one guy who somehow like takes out a whole army of bad guys, right, all by themselves. That's not the actual pic. That's not the picture of the Christian life. We're a unit. We're a family. We're a church that fights our battles together. And I do want to pause real quick and actually encourage you church you Ainsford Baptist Church I want to encourage you guys because I actually see this and I love it since I've been here I've seen this so clearly in your guys's lives whether it's making sure that you're making sure uh, each of you are getting to church all right or it could be I've heard stories about how you guys open up your homes or your property to each other to bless each other or it's as simple as calling different places to ask them if they have porridge in the morning like all of those things, no matter how small or insignificant, reflect this principle. All of these things show that you guys are working together as a family, to f- that you're not fighting your battles alone. Because ultimately, if we want to act wisely, we don't act alone. And we can see this in the last several verses of our passage. Let's read verses 21 to 23. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. What we can see here again is that Nehemiah, is all about having the people work together, right? They're all ready to help out. You have half of them working during the day while the other half is defending each other. You have him bring everybody in at night so that nobody is left by themselves out outside of the city where they could be under threat of attack. But there's also an important principle here in these last few verses that I think tie in with what we've been talking about when it comes to working towards future goals. What we see, right, first we, we have to make sure we trust God with our plans. Then we act wisely by making sure that we build in ways that we're supporting each other and we're covering for each other. But lastly, we see that we should never think that we're too good to do the work that we would ask somebody else to do. Because Nehemiah, because of his position and authority, he could have easily, from a worldly standard, been like, you guys go build the wall, and then he could have just lived comfortably. Like he, from a worldly perspective, he had every right to do that, but that's not what he does. He makes sure that he's working alongside the people. He makes sure that he's facing the same challenges the people are facing. He doesn't try to give himself any kind of special privileges just because he had authority. In Matthew 20, there's this story where two of Jesus' disciples Um, They come to Jesus and they ask him for special positions in his kingdom. Because at that time, they were still under the, the idea, they were still thinking that Jesus had come to set up a worldly kingdom, and they were asking him, hey, can we want to have really good spots. And the other disciples, 
weren't really happy with those two and themselves putting themselves forward, mostly because the other disciples wanted to have those same spots of authority. And Jesus, knowing all this, calls his disciples to him. And in 20, Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, he tells them, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to be a great leader? You want to be somebody who people will follow? You want to be somebody who is important? Well, then you have to start by being a servant, right? A great test if you ever want to test somebody to find out if they should be in a place of leadership within a ministry is find out if there are things that they're not willing to do. Find out if there's things that they think that they're too good for. Because Nehemiah shows us that the person who is going to lead should be like how, what Jesus said. Somebody who doesn't lord their position over other people but has come to serve those that they lead. Paul also reminds us this in Romans, but not in chapter 8, but in chapter 12, verse 3, when he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul will later go on, keep going on in that chapter to talk about how we all have different gifts that are meant to work together for the good of each other that none of us are actually so special, so much better than somebody else because we actually are all uniquely made so that we could work together for God's purposes. As we move forward on this journey together, I know that we have some big dreams. I know that all of us here would love to see this church be full of people again. I know that we would all love to see God build his church here in Ainsford. And I know that we would all want God to use us, use this church to build his kingdom. And as we do that, as we look to fulfill that calling, as we look to follow that passion, we must remember these two things, that we need to trust God and we need to act wisely. So what? In the story where we're at, Nehemiah hasn't finished building the wall. We're actually just past kind of the halfway point. So he's still very much under threat. Regardless of how he should have responded when he first showed up to the people that surrounded Israel, he's now in a situation where he will have to pursue his calling under threat of violence. So Nehemiah does what we should do also. I mean, even if we're doing something that doesn't seem like it's as dangerous, we have to remember at all times there's an enemy who is against us. So we need to be like Nehemiah and trust God and act wisely. When we think of our plans, when we think of what we're going to do, we, first by, we start by trusting God because of what Jesus did, because of the fact that we have the Spirit in us, and because the creator of the universe is on our side. With that as our starting point, there's no plan, no matter how big, small, dangerous, or safe, that should be a source of worry for us because of the foundation that we're building off of. Then when it comes to actually putting our plan into motion, we act wisely and we do that by making sure we set up systems, we set up ways that allow us to support one another. That we do not try to accomplish this on our own power, but together. 
We also don't use a position of authority. We don't use any kind of position of leadership to try to lord that over somebody else. And we don't try to use any of those positions to try to think, to try to puff ourselves up and think that we're too good to do something. With our trust firmly planted in Yahweh and with our willingness and readiness to serve each other, we will find that there is nothing that God can call us to do that we can't accomplish. So two questions for you guys. First, who are you trusting in? And second, are you not doing something because you think you're too good to do it? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for giving us the fact that all, you're, all of you is for us, God. It's not, sometimes we get so caught up in distinctions between God, Father, and Son, and we forget that every part of you, this holy community, this divine just source of love is all working together for us. That when we pursue the calling that you've put on our life, when we pursue following after you to be more like your son, to be more just, just faithful followers of your word, that you have every part working together to help us accomplish those goals. That you are the one who started a good work in us and you will carry it on to completion. God, I pray that we will be a people who will trust you and we will act wisely. I pray that we will be a people who will start from a foundation of just no fear because we know of who's on our side. And I pray that we are a people that don't try to do everything ourselves. God, I also pray that we will be humble within all of this, that we won't ever get so caught up in our position, our authority, our leadership, that we somehow think we're better than somebody else that we somehow think we're above a task that might be asked of us. God, I pray that you would build your church here. God, I pray that you would build your kingdom. And I, God, I pray that you would use this church. God, thank you so much for all that you've done. In your name.